Welcome to Newsworthy with Norisworthy. Get ready for some awesome. Welcome back to the show. Today we have joining us from beautiful Nashville, Tennessee. Is that right? Nashville, Tennessee. Nashville. Scott Sauls is on for the second time. Thank you for joining us again. Thanks, Luke. Good to be with you again. Yeah, it is. Uh, it's good to have you back on. Uh, unfortunately, you wrote a book about gentleness in a time of hostility, and when the book came out, it just it doesn't connect with our reality right now. It's so sad <laughs> that uh, it just doesn't connect. We don't have a world at all that's like that. So sorry about that. Yeah, it's uh, it's crazy. You know, when when we conceived of the idea of the book eighteen ish months ago, the only thing that I was thinking was the presidential election season did not go well in 2016 and it promises not to go well in 2020. And we haven't even started <laughs> to talk about the presidential election yet because there's so many other things that yeah. are not going well. <laughs> and, yeah. And, that, uh... Um, so yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's well, here's good. the thing though, as, as a uh, Calvinist, uh, you believe that uh, you know God worked this out for you as Arminian. Everything's just free flowing, and, and you know God just kind of <laughs> second guessing everything. So maybe I should become a Calvinist for this time, and uh, it might help me out a little bit more. You know, um, <laughs> if, if you can, uh, you know, a Calvinist. I, I I think the things that Calvinists believe around stuff that's going on today. I think it's probably fair to say that that the vast majority of people who identify as Christians do as well. And that is that that God is a lot bigger than this stuff and um, that that none of this comes to him by surprise. And uh, I think we can all agree on Romans 28 that he's going to work it toward the good. Uh, And and. Um, I can't wait to see what that looks like. Uh, right yeah. now, it's 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 a challenge to imagine what it's going to look like. But but yeah, uh, I can't wait both. to see what it looks like. You and me both. I know, I know Tom Wright is uh, an influence on you, and mm-hmm. uh, I don't know if you got to check out his book on God and the pandemic. Uh, but you know his big take. You know his move from Romans eight twenty eight is that you know the way that God works in the good is is through us. Which I mean mm-hmm. we, we've I feel like everyone has intuitively been kind of acting that way. And uh, so maybe that's not a new read for most of us, but it is, it's definitely a reminder that, you know, God is in all things, yes, and somehow we are the hands and feet that are supposed to incarnate the good of God in all things, and that's a tough call. Isn't that something else that, that, that the pandemic just started, a, you know, a couple months ago, and Tom Wright has already released a book on the <laughs> pandemic? It's like, some guys write faster than the rest of us read and uh yeah, yeah that book yeah. is on my stack it's actually on the top of my stack i haven't read it yet so yeah sounds like well, it's worth reading my my favorite uh, tom wright story is i heard once that he was at a conference and uh someone in the evening session presented a paper that responded to something that he wrote and so overnight he writes a new paper with amazing citations mm-hmm. and uh like turns in the next morning you're like okay that's why you're nt right and the rest of us just read your stuff yeah um, yeah, he is. But crazy. he's for as uh, accomplished and erudite as he is, he is as down to earth and gen- right. gentle and genuine mm-hmm. and just good people. Yeah, just good people. So, um, okay, now you, um, how long have you been in Nashville now? Because you, you came from St. Louis to New York and then Nashville. Is that the order? Or That's right. That That's order? right. Okay, we've been here for eight years. Okay, so yeah. eight years, and do you feel at eight years that you uh, were? you know, connected enough, had built enough trust and credibility with the church to, in a time like this, to speak 
the uh, in a time like this, which there's so many things to talk about, to to have the credibility to have some of the hard conversations that need to take place. Uh, you mean hard conversations around things going on in the world right now, or just in general? Yeah, I mean, or? well, I mean, if you're talking about you know the, the book title. A gentle answer, our secret weapon in an age of us against them. Mm-hmm. There's so many uses against them, whether it is on how to yeah. respond to the pandemic, uh, racial tensions, obviously mm-hmm. the upcoming election. Do you feel like at, after eight years that you have you know, the credibility, the relationship built up with your church to have more honest conversations than you would have six, seven years ago? Sure. I mean, credibility really means that all the people who didn't like you have already left <laughs> and the ones who who did like you and do like you stayed and then some other people came along who who like you but but uh no i'm i'm teasing you you yeah i i think that there is a is a an established pastor and congregation relationship where we can lean into these things and we do lean into these things maybe more than most uh maybe uh maybe even some would say i'm reckless because i am so direct and Mm -hmm. so wanting to engage these things rather than avoid them um because i believe that that um you know that christianity gives us the resources to have healthy life-giving conversations about um things that uh tend to become destructive uh, outside of, of sort of the, the way of engagement that Jesus has, has led us into and taught us into as, uh, as followers of his. And so Mm -hmm. uh, I think it's a great opportunity for um, the people of Jesus to uh, especially um, demonstrate to each other and to their neighbors, uh, what I hope would be a a better, more life-giving way than, uh, maybe the, 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 the underbelly of things like cancel culture and outrage yeah. culture and us mm-hmm. against them and, and all of this stuff that we're also weary of. We're so weary of it that we're starting to watch Mr. Rogers again. Uh, and, and we're so he's for good reason, so appealing. Um, yeah. but uh, you know, I, I, I think, you know, that's a, that's something maybe worth worth exploring is what why all of a sudden are we interested in Mr. Rogers again? It's because he was this paragon of kindness yeah. and this paragon of, of gentleness and empathy. And yeah. you know, one of our pastors, Micah Edmondson, uh, said over lunch yesterday that he thinks that we are we are living in a world right now where so many people have declared war against empathy. Uh, wow. which I thought that was just such a such a striking, um, strikingly true uh, comment that, that it's really empathy that, 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 that people are bothered by, <laughs> wow. no matter what the subject is. I don't want to yeah, yeah. think, I don't want to walk in your shoes. I, I want to assert myself. And, and so we need to get away from that. Yeah. Well, first of all, thanks for bringing up uh, Mr. Rogers, because as my listeners know, I had a great podcast set up with uh, the actual actor or the actual journalist who, uh, the new movie, Mr. Rogers, mm-hmm. I forget, w- yeah. with Tom Hanks. And uh, the email that was setting up the time and the confirmation for that went into my junk mail and I just ignored it. So thank uh-huh. you for bringing up a, a hard memory in my life. Yeah, but you get that back but, though, right? Uh, I think I missed my window. Uh-huh. It, was a, it was a brief window. Nevertheless, I think you're right though that we... I like the idea we've we've waged war on empathy. Why do you think that has happened, though? Why do you, why do you think we've waged war on it? It's as old as time, isn't it? I mean, all the way back in 
the Garden of Eden, you know, uh, yeah. Adam and Eve, um, they wanted to assert their own perspective. Mm-hmm. The serpent wanted to assert his own perspective and twist the perspective of others. And, you know, you fast forward it to, let's say, the New Testament and the um, scribes and Pharisees and the way that Jesus describes the scribes and Pharisees is that they trusted in themselves that they were righteous and looked down on other people with contempt. Um, and and then, you know, we, we fast forward it now to the present day and we, we have the same dynamic. You know, one of my, uh, one of my mentors' wives, uh, Kathy Keller, mm-hmm. uh, says the natural religion of the human heart untouched by the gospel of Jesus Christ is self-righteousness. It has to be. Um, because we have to, we have this impulse where we have to defend ourselves, protect ourselves, assert ourselves. We don't really know any other way, um, except to go into complete hiding. But, but I think the heart, uh, the heart untouched by God is wired, uh, to, to assert and not to walk in somebody else's shoes. That's why we have wars and slavery and racism and, and classism and, and, all these other things. Yeah, it seems that empathy is the far more challenging and arduous road to to go down and to just to to create a villain to uh fracture away from people. I think that's the easiest mm. thing. And I think you're right that there's this form or uh Kathy Keller is 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 right when it's we're always trying to validate our rightness and whether you do that in the traditional religious sense or any other sense, we're always trying to say, this is why it is right for me to stand here and to exist. And we all do that. And that's, yeah, like you said, it, it comes between us and them, whoever they are. And so the idea of the book is that, that gentleness is like this, this way to, to mediate the tension between us and them. And so maybe as we like begin this conversation on gentleness, would you give us like a working definition that we can all kind of like build this conversation on? Of gentleness. Yeah. Ah, wow. Um, so it's built on, you know, the, the, I guess the, the book, uh, thanks for mentioning it. Uh, the title comes from Proverbs 15, 15, one that says a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up, uh, dissension. And so, um, gentleness, contrary to what maybe we might associate the word to mean, it's not wimpiness. It's mm-hmm. not roll over and be a doormat. It's not, um, you know, to be a, a, a lilting flower. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we associate the word with, with people who are kind of wimpy. Uh, when in fact, gentleness is a, is, there's, there's a real ferocity about it. It's, it's, a, it's a deep, deep strength. Um, Speaking of Mr. Rogers, if you're a student of Mr. Rogers, Luke, you already probably know this and you can probably elaborate on what I'm about to say. You probably know more than I do. But as I understand it, having read biographical work about him, he became the gentleman that he is for two reasons. One, pain, and, and, and the, the other reason, uh, anger. Uh, pain because he, when he was a child, he was bullied for being overweight. Uh, his peers called him Fat Fred. That was his nickname, and it, it just really struck a wound at him, as as it would for anybody who you know gets made yeah. fun of for their body type. Um, and so he grows up and says to himself as he's growing up, as far as it depends on me, 
there will not be children who felt like I felt uh, mm-hmm. when I was when I was bullied in that way. I'm going to do my part in helping children not feel that way. And the other the other emotion that drove his gentleness was anger. Uh, he felt like children were disproportionately overlooked and ignored, and that their voices were important. They they had something to contribute to the conversation of what it means to flourish and be truly human and live uh, honestly. And Mm -hmm. he felt very frustrated and angry that children got overlooked and ignored. And so that, that drove, you know, his vision in large part for his life. And, and so here you have a man who's got all this strength of energy behind, you know, wanting to resolve a wrong or fix, you know, something that causes pain, bullying and um, you know, and, anger on behalf of, of an overlooked community, uh, the least of these, right? And yeah. and that makes him the tender, gentle man that he is. I mean, when Jesus says, I am, right, we've got these seven I am statements that we always talk about us pastors in, in, in John. <laughs> I've done the series. Another, yeah. What's that? Yeah, you've done I, the series. Course, yep, yeah, I need to listen year, to yeah. your series because I, w- <laughs> I want to do that series someday too. But, but he, had a, he has an eighth I am statement in Matthew where he says, I am gentle and humble in heart. Yep. And that's where he invites all who are weary and burdened to, to come to him and, yep. and to be tended to and cared for by him. And if that's part, if that's his identity, we're talking about the one who spoke the galaxies into existence and rose from the dead. Uh, and his very identity uh, is that he's gentle and humble in heart. And so you can't say gentleness means you're weak. It's actually a sign of great strength. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do uh, from the cross is an incredible uh, exercise of power uh, for him to do that, uh, to act in that fashion of gentleness, to forgive his betrayers. And so I can go on about that. But No, I I like the definition. Uh, The idea of gentleness is not weakness. Weakness is weakness. Gentleness is is strength corralled and kept in check. And like I, I love the example of Jesus on the cross is, that I have the ability to do far more than I am, exponentially more than what I'm going to do. And that's gentleness. Like it's, it's corralling what I could do to you, against you, uh, for your detriment, but instead I'm going to restrain it for myself. And I feel like the idea of gentleness is something that everyone is for. We're all for gentleness up until a point. Like there, there's always a point where we go, you know, I'm for gentleness, but right here is when I'm going to stop. And I'm, I'm for this as long as it doesn't cost me too much. Mm. It seems like spiritual maturity is learning to like push that line a little bit farther down the road. Like I, yeah, you can. It's almost like a speed limit. Like yeah, I'll be gentle until fifteen miles an hour until mm-hmm. I'm the aggression leads this. But it seems like spiritual maturity is like to keep pushing that higher and higher and higher. How how do you think we move that point where we stop quote unquote being gentle further down the road? If you can go with my metaphor. I don't know, Luke. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. I, I, you're the one who, you know, writes about befriending monsters. So, 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 uh, nice move. To, I see truly would love to hear your thoughts on that. I, I wonder if it has something to do with how we think in such a binary way, uh, about, um, kindness and fierceness. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and maybe there's this part of us that, that, doesn't think that the two can go together or that that doesn't think that the priestly spirit that cares for people and tends to people can go with the prophetic spirit that that's more confrontational. And so we live in a prophetic age 
um, right? Uh, at least in our part mm-hmm. of the world where we're all call out culture, cancel culture, outrage culture, whatever you want to call it. Everybody's, you know, got some issue that they're upset about and wanting to call others about, uh, call others out on. And there, there's such a scarcity of gentleness, maybe because we think we'll be giving something up uh, of the prophetic message if we do it too kindly. (laughs) Maybe our point won't get across strongly enough. Maybe we won't be heard as well if, if we surround it with, you know, Mr. Nice guy or whatever. Um, But uh, you know, again, um, if you look at Christ, uh, he, he never, he never lets go of um, that part of him. That's the lion in order to be the lamb in the same way that he doesn't let go of the lamb in order to be the lion. They, They always run together. Um, and, and they rise together and they, they, they step back together and retreat together, but the lamb and the lion are always together. Hmm. I love how C.S. Lewis says, you know, Christianity is a fighting religion. He says that, you know, a Christian, a true Christian dialed in to the gospel, dialed in to the Holy Spirit and to Christ and to the agenda of the father is going to see things that are wrong and unjust and, and especially damaging vulnerable people, places, and things damaging the vulnerable Christians are going to see that they're going to notice the problem and they're going to fight against it. Mm-hmm. They're going to attack the problem without attacking people. Um, but gentleness, we lose gentleness, I think, because we, we, we think in a binary way rather than in a, a, a way that, that remembers that, that both the lion and the lamb are the same, the yeah. same God. Yeah. Um, so that's no, my I, guess. What's yours? No. <laughs> Uh, well, the more you talked about, it, the more I question if my metaphor even works. Because my metaphor is like, yeah, gentleness is good f- for a certain time, and then you eventually cross over. And so my metaphor is predicated on the idea that you're either the lion or the lamb. But mm. what I think your imagery is doing is saying like they're they're connected, that they are intertwined, that you can't have like gentleness for eighty percent of your day, and then twenty percent of your day you're like, ah, screw it, I'm just going to act out, you know, mm. you know. I, act however I want to act. But I, I like the idea that there is a, a straight... Well, here's... In the book, you talk about that um, there is a righteous anger that comes from shalom, mm-hmm. which I love that imagery, that the anger that we have isn't stepping outside of... The other line you have in the book is uh, um, we can lose our cool without losing our character, mm-hmm. which as a preacher, I'm like, I, I, that, that's good. I like that. <laughs> I, will, I will definitely be ripping that off. Um, We're always looking for sound <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was like, yeah, I'll use that one for sure. But that there is a righteous indignation that doesn't out, act outside of our character. And so we're still being the lion and the lamb together in the way that we go about it. Um, but it's not like I can't see injustice and, and speak up against it. Does mm-hmm. it make sense? Am I getting what Absolutely. you're saying? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I, I got to think that when Jesus said to Peter, get behind me, Satan, or put away your sword, or do you love me? Then, then feed my sheep uh, and tend to my lambs. That, that the effect on Peter was not that he was getting bullied. The effect on Peter was, was that, that, that Jesus was holding him in the tension of, of, of grieving his spirit, uh, in order to restore him. Yeah. You know, I, I can't help but think that, 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 that Peter, even in the, those most fierce confrontations where 
Jesus would call him out, uh, somehow deep in the recesses of his soul felt a lot more loved than he did attacked. Um, and I, I, like I, I think yeah. there's a nuance there to the way that, that a person in the name of Christ is going to call out. Um, you know, if, if you just call out in a, in, a, in a way where you just want to put somebody in, in their place, you're going to do precisely that. But you're unlikely to win them. You might, you might shame them into compliance. You might shame them into maybe wanting to pander to you so that you don't pick on them anymore. But they kind of become your slave uh, when, when, when they, they pander to you rather than having been brought in and drawn into whatever your cause is. You know, and, and, and when I've talked about this you know, in, in these conversations up to this point, Luke, um, and again, I'd love to hear your, kind of your pastoral thoughts on this too, is that there's a difference between attacking people and attacking problems. Unrighteous Good. anger yeah. attacks people. Unrighteous anger is not out to win people. Uh, like Jesus talks about in Matthew 18, you know, he talks about winning your brother. You know, you know, when a brother sins against you, show him his fault. And if he repents, you've won your brother. Like that's the goal of, of, of healthy life-giving confrontation is to win people while attacking the problem that led to the conflict, right? But the idea is if, if we're in conflict because I've injured you, Luke, and, and you're, you're confronting me, as a, as a follower of Christ, especially, you're thinking, how, not only how do, I, how do I get rid of the thing that injured me that Scott did, but how do I bring Scott onto my side of this conversation so we can both attack what Scott did? Yeah. Um, you know what? So like, like, like both Scott and I can, can say, you know, it's wrong to be sarcastic, you know, to a person who's hurting. You know, let's say that's what this was the hypothetical, right? And I was sarcastic to you when you really needed care and not sarcasm. And, and you know, the idea is that you bring me to your side and we attack sarcasm together. And, and the result of that is to say, hey, man, I'm so sorry. I, you know, I, yeah. I, I, I wasn't caring for you. Uh, I, I didn't read the moment. I was tone deaf to, to what mm. your needs were there, right? But we're, now we're both attacking the problem. Because you didn't attack me as much as what you did attack what I did. If that makes yeah, that, that makes sound as, confusing as, or no. Well, first of all, your example is a little bit too personal because I've, oh, I've had that I've had that conversation too too many. Luke, you can't be sarcastic right now. Yeah, I've, that's first fourteen years of my marriage. Um, oh. But uh, so yeah, I can definitely relate. But here's it's still the idea of it's it's quote unquote anger that is born out of shalom and that's seen by the end result is that we're going to create shalom we're going to create peace again by mm. getting you on we're on the same side here like we're it's not against you that that we're dealing with the problem of sarcasm mm-hmm. or whatever the issue is is that we're the end result is shalom and reconciliation yeah. whereas you make the line in the book early on that you know anger will build a platform It'll get people to follow you. It'll get a following because we like, you know, having a common enemy. And if you're going to be the one who owns those stupid liberals or the stupid conservatives, and I'm going to watch the 30 second clip of you, you know, canceling them with whatever you know cute little phrase you have, then I'm going to I'm going to build your platform. I'm going to follow you. But mm. this sort of like gentle, peace-based, shalom, like led way of gentleness, mm-hmm. I think, builds the church now. Honestly, I think you can build little small C churches 
based on anger that you create this enemy that your church is against that that works but yeah. the big c church isn't built by that but this way of gentleness of not trying to destroy the person who's wrong but trying to build us all back towards shalom i think that's how mm-hmm. the big c church is built right i think so and to to your point about like building a platform like let's just talk about like an author mm-hmm. any author with you know enough people paying attention can write a bestseller um, around outrage, you know, find the, whoever the common enemy is, we're going to attack that common enemy in the name of outrage. So you can write a bestseller, but you'll never write a classic. Um, Mm. You'll, you'll never write something that, that, that will outlast your outrage tribe. Um, You know, the, 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 the work will die with, you know, with the influence of, of whatever your tribe is. And that, that's kind of how history works. Hmm. You know, one generation tribalizes against the next generation or, or, or the previous one. And then the next generation tribalizes against, you know, that hmm. one and, and, and so on. And so you, you, you don't just cancel the people uh, you and yeah. their ideas. You, you cancel, you know, whatever their, you know, sort of, outrage convictions are uh, for, yeah. for, for their time, right? Like our grandparents will be appalled at, at some of the things that, that we value in the yeah. same things that in the same reason that we'll be appalled by some of the things that our grandkids yeah. value. <laughs> my, my grandparents would be appalled that I'm talking to you uh, because you're not from the churches of Christ and therefore you're oh, not a Christian. Oh, sorry. So. <laughs> sorry. Does it count that I live in the city that has more churches of Christ and the universities of the churches of Christ than any other city? Yeah. I mean, one day you might stumble into Otter Creek or, or go to Lipscomb's yes. Chapel and that'll count. I, and Josh get, Graves is a yeah. friend of mine. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Josh is a dear friend. I know that. Uh, <laughs> so maybe Josh is going to save you or just being close okay. enough to he and Carr, that might work. But okay. no, you're, you're exactly right, though. And that's why I it's know so who easy. Rubel Shelley is. Does that help me? You're... If you could sing a cappella, we could pretty much count you as <laughs> as a cousin of the Churches of Christ. But you're right. Like the, the point is, in the same way that I can laugh about the struggles that my grandparents had uh, with being sectarian, you know, my grandkids are going to look at me and go, Luke, why, they'll probably call me grandpa, but why don't you deal with this issue? Why don't you care about it? Why don't you talk? That's exactly right. And so that's why this sort of like anger vitriol stuff, it's, it tastes really good in the moment, but in the end, you know, as the old saying goes, it's uh, the Anne Lamont quote, which you which you referenced in the book that it's like rat poison, right? Like, so in the moment you're going to feel real good because you have this against someone, but in the end you're going to be consumed by it. And so, yeah, that doesn't work. But one of the things I do like about your book is that y- you do still say there is a way to speak truth to power, that there is a way to speak against things that are unjust, but it's not about building your platform. It's not about tearing people down. Uh, one of the examples you use is of uh, Mother Teresa, who was invited to a uh, prayer breakfast and she spoke against uh, abortion. And she said something at the end like, hey, if, if, if y'all don't want these babies, bring them to me, I'll take care of them. But there is this picture of this, this woman who's speaking truth to the, to the president at the time um, in a way of grace and love. So what was it about that story, that example, that you think en- encapsulates what it means to speak truth to power in a gentle way? So she's Mother Teresa, right? So... You know that automatically yeah. gives her gives her strength uh, in whatever she's and 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 she's I say that because she's she's suffered for her message. You know I I don't want to listen to an activist who hasn't paid a price for their message. Hmm. Like all you know all these kind of freshly woke people right now, like just be quiet 
Yeah. <laughs> just just listen to the people that you you think you're defending right now. Start read a, read about twenty books. Uh, get involved and wait until this costs you before you presume to be a teacher on these things. Right. Wow. So 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 Mother Teresa's message. That's a good word. That is a good word. Costs her. Yeah. It costs her. She gave her life. She lived in Calcutta, one of the, one of the poorest places on the face of the earth. Mm-hmm. She put her life where her message was, and so so she had the moral authority to come in and say, um, you know, to to some of the most powerful people in the world, um, stop this. <laughs> and you know, the, you, you're, you, you know, and, and you know, from her perspective, you are you are doing violence to the weakest people in your midst. Give them to me, uh, but don't do this anymore. And so. I think I gave another example of um, Bonhoeffer. You know, let's say, let's say, I'm sorry. You you mentioned Bonhoeffer as well. I mean, that's yeah, another Bonhoeffer, person. right? Yeah, yeah, Bonhoeffer confronted Hitler. He actually lost his life uh, yeah, it cost because him. of yeah. yeah, it cost him his life, and and you know he got executed right before Hitler died, and and the the war ended, um, and his legacy continues, but but. You know, I, I, and I can be criticized maybe for quote, quoting Mother Teresa and say, oh, you're such a right wing partisan. Well, I also, um, you know, talk about King and and mm-hmm. King's influence with civil rights and also John Perkins, who's still alive today. He was a contemporary of King, uh, marched with King and, you know, got got, you know, mercilessly beaten uh, mm-hmm. because of the color of his skin and, and, and you know, the cause that he that he get, has given his life for and still does. Um, and so this is a nonpartisan, this is like a, this is not a nonpartisan thing. Um, yeah. You know, I love what, um, I don't know if you know, Brian Loritz. Um, yep. he, he, he might be, you know, somebody worth talking to at some point uh, oh, yeah. and exposing your, your audience to, but Brian talks about, you know, the, the, if, if you really think that you're, let's say pro-life or, if you think, you know, these lives matter, whether it's black lives or blue lives or all lives or whatever, here's what he says. The, the, the litmus test that we all need to put ourselves under is to ask ourselves the question honestly, is, is, my, is my defense and protection and advocacy for the dignity of life, is it comprehensive or is it a la carte? That's the phrase he mm-hmm. used. Is it a la carte? I love that. Um, am I, you know, acting on behalf of one uh, or maybe a few segments of the human community to the neglect and even to the destruction uh, of other, uh, you know, people in the human community, or am I entering into the complexity? Uh, and it's complex when you do this because yeah. it can't be either. It's complex um, of of upholding the dignity of every form of life, period. The elderly, uh, the sick, those with special needs and disabilities, immigrants and refugees, um, you know, non-majority, you know, races, um, the economically poor, people in the womb, people out of the womb. Um, And he's right. You know, we, 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 our, our message only has enough, as much integrity as it is comprehensive. And, so I don't even remember what the question was that got us to that. But, well, but, uh, so the example was that you're you know, speaking truth to power. Yeah, Mother Teresa, mm. or, or whether it's Dr. King, or mm. whatever. Like there is, there's this um, 
problem that we you you touch on because you say I don't want to be partisan and that seems to be the issue whenever someone speaks truth to whatever power that be in our culture is oh well you know you're just talking about them because you don't like that party or because your partisan loyalty is the other direction mm. and I, I've got a friend here down in Texas that uh, he's a pastor in Temple Texas named Austin Fisher and he tweeted something recently he goes uh, we. We all don't like, uh, we all like talking about politics until people talk about our Paul. I completely butchered his quote. But the point was, is that we're fine when when someone preaches about politics as long as it lines up with my politics. And so we want to say, yes, I support X, Y, and Z. I'm for life, whether it is, you know, I'm for unborn or I'm for against the death penalty. But I'm going to pick one one side of that being for life side. And as long as you stay on that side, I'm good with it. And Mm. how can. How do you think gentleness can help us bridge the sort of partisan divide that says, I'm cool for you to speak truth to power as long as it's the power that I don't vote for? Yeah, in that conversation, um, you know, and again, I, I, I can't lecture people who don't share my faith on this, right? Like, yeah. like if, if you're not a Christian, um, you know, you, you got to sort these questions out, um, you know, however you're, you're you're led or inclined to do and, and no judgment. Yeah. Right. But, but if you, if you identify yourself as a follower of Christ, that gives people like Luke and me, just like it gives you the right, uh, mm-hmm. you know, toward us, uh, to, to, to challenge where there may be some inconsistencies apparent. Um, if you identify as, as, as Christ's person, then, then you've got to be the kind of person who is uh, unequivocally and unapologetically for all kinds of persons, right? Um, let, me, let me just make a radical example, okay? Maybe this will offset sort of my conservative politics on, on what Mother Teresa did, you know, speaking for the unborn. Now I'll, I'll, I'll swing over and the conservatives can call me a flaming liberal. Okay. Um, why is it not the case uh, that uh, let's let's even say okay? So I'm a, I'm a Christian who is uh, you know on on sex and marriage. I would I would say I'm one who holds to the sort of historic traditional interpretation: one man, one woman inside the covenant of marriage, etc. Right? But I'm going to add to that. The question to my people, and I've asked my own church this, why is it the case that Christians are not seen and experienced and known and understood as the greatest advocates on earth uh, for LGBTQ people against bullying and, 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 and against you know, injurious behavior that, that, uh, that, that, and, and, and violent, especially violent prejudicial behavior that happens toward this community, why, are not, why is it the case that, that it's not Christians who are on the front lines saying you've got to go through us to get to them, to, to, to yeah. get to them first? Yeah. Uh, you've got to go through us first. Like, yeah. like why, why do we discriminate like who is entitled to protection and, and care, especially from things like violence, especially from things like false narratives and, and you know, all those sorts of things. Um, in other words, we have to be radically um, protective and defensive uh, for the dignity of all people. Mm-hmm. And you see this in the life of Christ and he's getting slammed all the time. He's way too conservative 
for liberals. Uh, he's way too liberal for conservatives. And, and, and that's just the life of Christ. He, he doesn't care what you think. He's going to touch the lepers. Mm-hmm. He doesn't care what you think. He's going to say to Zacchaeus, who's been robbing everybody, come on out of that tree. I'm coming to your house today. Salvation's coming to your home. He doesn't care what you think, uh, that he eats with gluttons and drunks, so, and, and, and so much so that people are actually starting to call him one. Mm-hmm. He doesn't care uh, about being guilty by association. I mean, look at the people that are in his genealogy. You know, Rahab the prostitute, Abraham was a terrible husband, you know, <laughs> subjected his own wife to, to sexual predators. You know, David with the Bathsheba instance, uh, you know, it even says in the genealogy he, he gave you know, he had Solomon by the wife of Uriah. Like that's how it's described. Like yeah. Jesus does not care about guilt by association. He cares about the dignity of all human beings. And he cares about fractured people who need to be mended, mm-hmm. or at least who need somebody to try to help them mend, even if they resist it. And so why wouldn't we be that way as well toward in a non-discriminatory discriminatory way? And that, that's going to sound liberal to some people. Um, and yet, you know, here we stand, it's, right? Yeah, it's, it, but it's the way of Jesus. And that's what, you know, gentleness in your book, you're, we are gentle because Jesus is gentle. And the kind of gentleness that our, our country sees a lot is I'm gentle towards my group of people. The kind of gentleness that as Christians we're called to is gentle to all people. And it's it's different and it doesn't work unless you're, I, I like the way you, you set that up is that as people who follow the way of Jesus, we're going to act different. And it needs to to step over those party lines. It needs to step over the certain sort of like cultural mores about who's your people, who can't be your people, and the way that you're supposed to treat people who are different from you. That Like that's what Christianity is. That's 101 Christianity is that you love mm-hmm. all people, even the people who have who have wronged you. And, and I think you're, you're wise in the book to spend some time talking about how forgiveness is connected to, to gentleness, that you, you have to be mm-hmm. able to extend forgiveness if you're going to be gentle, because I don't want to be gentle to the people who have wronged me. And you tell this real beautiful story about a woman who is in the Holocaust, and she is speaking about forgiveness. And after she speaks, the very last person, probably anyone in her circumstance, would ever want to see came up to her. Can you kind of like finish the story from there for us? Yeah, that was Corey Ten Boom. And uh, she was actually a Christian who, um, who you know, like Bonhoeffer advocated for, for, uh, for the Jews in, in, you know, during the Holocaust. And, and she and her sister Betsy found themselves in, you know, in prison in a Nazi concentration camp, uh, for that purpose. And, you know, they're, they're, the officers were, were brutal and, you know, torture tactics. And, and, you know, there was this one particular officer who, um, did great violence and harm to her own sister. And so the Holocaust is over. Hitler's dead. Uh, she is a Christian, you know, traveling around, telling her story. And she gives a talk on forgiveness. And a man approaches her afterwards. And he, uh, she recognizes him immediately as, as one of the officers in the Ravensbrück uh, concentration camp, who was one of the most brutal and who had did great harm to her sister. And he, he says to her, uh, I have become a Christian, uh, and you're talking about forgiveness. Um, does God forgive me? Do you forgive me? And, and you know, she describes it in this very vivid way about how it was such a, uh, it was such a traumatic moment for her, uh, and yet 
somehow God worked through that moment to, to lead her to grant forgiveness to that man. And she said, you know, she was flooded with, with, I don't know, I can't remember the exact words, but just the compassion of Christ through her. And, and, and it was, it was beautiful, but you're right. You know, Jesus doesn't just say, love your friends. He says, love your enemies. Uh, and that, that's actually, you know, he's one of the Beatitudes, two of the Beatitudes, actually blessed are those who, um, you know, who, who are persecuted for righteousness sake and, and, you know, who have all kinds of false things said about you because of, of Christ, uh, rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven, right? That's all counterintuitive stuff, but, but yeah. that's, that's part of the picture. Yeah. You have a line, uh, in that section of the book where you talk about forgiveness. It is, uh, not a feeling, but an act of will. Now, some of us have tried to, to forgive because we had this fleeting moment of, okay, this is the right thing to do. I'm going to be magnanimous towards them. What is the difference when we approach forgiveness, not as a feeling, but as an act of will? Yeah, I think trust is more um, a feeling than forgiveness is, right? Uh, like what do you trust mean? is when we become more and more at ease. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, being vulnerable. Uh, with somebody again who maybe has hurt us in the past we, we've learned through a new sort yeah. of re-established history and pattern of trustworthiness we've learned to trust again and we feel more feel over time more and more at ease mm-hmm. um, whereas forgiveness is is something that God asks us to do right now and and it's also a posture that God asks us to stay in all the time. And, 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 and yet forgiveness doesn't mean, um, feeling better about what happened, uh, especially if the person hasn't apologized, if the person hasn't, um, you know, shown any remorse, uh, forgiveness is no more and no less than the decision to, to bear the pain of the injury without retaliating, without punching back. Um, uh, without, you know, taking the law into our own hands, whether that's the law of the state, which belongs to the state. And, and some injuries actually should be reported to the state to yeah. get predators off the streets of course, uh, yeah. and to prevent it from happening again and so on and to protect yourself. Uh, certain things should be... Re- and we don't want to take God's law uh, in our own hands, right? The wages of sin is death. And so I'm going <laughs> to I'm going to inflict death on you for what you did to me. Well, you know, the scripture says, uh, no, that's God's job. Uh, you know, even Christ uh, entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. In other words, leave, leave judgment. You're not qualified. Jesus was, but, but, but I'm not qualified to judge anyone uh, 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 and, and, and to mete out punishment to, to anyone. In, in other words, by taking you know, by, by taking the law, any law in, into my own hands, when the jurisdiction of that law either belongs to the state or to God or to both. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. That makes sense. You know, I, I love the idea of like, I'm carrying the weight of the wrong to the transgression. I feel it. It's not like it's not there. I'm not going to minimize it, but I'm not going to act on it. I'm, I'm going to let, I'm going to hold on to that pain. I'm going to sit in that pain, but I'm not going to feel the need to reciprocate and cause you to feel the pain yeah. that you've made me feel, which is, like that is the the sort of like tip tit for tat the reciprocal sort of world that we live in. If you did this to me, I'm going to do it back to you. But forgiveness is a way to say I'm going to extend gentleness and kindness instead of the the anger and the hatred that you've extended to me. That's, yeah, I think it's important on the forgiveness conversation too, Luke, to say that 
forgiveness doesn't mean you have to be nice to the person. Like 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 mm. if like like sweet. Like like if if somebody has betrayed you, um, you know your po- your your proper posture is is probably a more distant one uh, with with a person who has betrayed you and not owned that betrayal. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, I want to emphasize forgiveness is being willing to absorb what happened, to, to, to being willing to be pierced for somebody else's transgression against you um, without piercing them back, uh, without striking back, but, but leaving justice where justice belongs. Um, but, but that doesn't mean I got to be sweet. Uh, mm-hmm. that, that's phony. That's, that's not, it's not right. Um, you know, that feeling that you get, that it, it feels dirty to be sweet to a person who's betrayed me in this way, you know, let's say your spouse, you know, just found out they cheated on you. Well, the, the next thing to do is not to kiss them. <laughs> you know, the the next thing to do is to say, why on earth did you do that? I'm, I'm really upset. I'm mad. Uh, I'm not going to go out and cheat on you to get back at you. Um, but I've got to work through some stuff. And, and so it, you know, I, I think there are a lot of people who deal with this, who wrestle with this teaching on forgiveness, who think that you have to be sweet when you feel really, really hurt. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you, you don't have to be sweet. You, you just don't need to be violent, um, <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah, no. As soon as you said that, started this kind of caveat on forgiveness, I knew you were saying this because you've seen people who are under the burden of, okay, we well, need to forgive them no matter what they did to you, and you're going to act like nothing happened. Right, like you've heard people feel like that's the right thing to do, or they've forgiveness has been kind of weaponized against them. Like, yeah, I wronged you, but God said you got to forgive me. And yeah, you can't do that. Yeah, that's not right. That that doesn't. That's not how it works. That's not how uh, reconciliation takes two people. Forgiveness takes one person. I can forgive you, but if we're going to reconcile and that trust mm. is going to be earned back, it, it takes both of us. Um, as the old country song says, uh, we meet in the middle of that old Georgia pine, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. You live yeah. in Nashville. I feel like you should country music. You should, you should know sing it. it. You no, should, just, nope. You nope. got a good microphone right there. <laughs> you know, I've got some a good microphone and some good filters, but it can't uh, it can't auto tune my singing. So we're gonna we're gonna not do that for sure. But thank you for the invitation. Uh, if you invite me, uh, I'll come sing at your church, though, if you want me to. <laughs> Just uh, not at mine, because I have to see those people okay. every week. So anyway, hey, okay. the book, um, A Gentle Answer. It is definitely something that we need now more than ever, and uh, especially as we enter into an election cycle. It might be good practices for us to, this book might lead us in, into the right way. So, so as we close this, um, we do have people who are about to enter into an election cycle and the vitriol is going to go up. And so maybe you could leave us with one practice, something that we could do as we try to become people in a world of hostility and us against them to be people of kindness and gentleness. What, what is something that we could do over these next few weeks leading up until you know the first week of November when that election happens that could help us become more gentle? Well, around politics? I feel like politics is, yeah. well... It, it 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 causes that. I'm not saying you have to solve the yeah, political process. The thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, Christina Cleveland, who's a she's yeah, a friend a of the show. Yeah, she's been on Duke Divinity. Oh, she's been on. Okay, yeah, so a couple years so she's ago, she's got a great. She's uh, she's she's very sharp, and she said something that I think is probably the best, a better answer than I could give to your question. She said that one of the best ways to discern what our own blind spots are 
is as Christian, she's speaking as a Christian. She says, as Christians, is to is to get into meaningful friendship and stay in meaningful friendship with Christians who have opposite politics than ours. Hmm. Um, and so add to that, you know, the old biblical, um, you know, command to be quick to listen and slow to speak. Um, in other words, you know, open our ears wider than we open our mouths uh, in these conversations to see if we can learn something and develop the discipline. And I think this, to have integrity, I think Christians need to, I think all Christians need to do this, to have integrity in the political conversation. If I'm conservative, if I'm politically conservative, then I, then I need to be willing to own and talk about the weakness of conservative political platforms. And I also need to be able to find something to say out loud that the, that the liberals are doing better and more justly than conservatives are around this or that issue. And if I'm liberal, I need to do the same thing uh, in the opposite direction. And if I'm not doing, if I'm not willing to do that, then in all likelihood, I am a disciple of Fox News, not Jesus Christ, mm -hmm. or of MSNBC or CNN, not mm -hmm. Jesus Christ. And mm -hmm. that's not where we want to be. We no. do not want to be disciples of partisan platforms. It doesn't end well. No. Um, and, and it's not really fun to be around either. I, I, okay, I love this idea. So if, you know, if I'm a conservative, if I'm a liberal, I'm going to say one thing that's a weakness about you know, my affiliation, and then one, see, one thing that kind of dis displays or reflects the kingdom of God in the other party. Oh, I think that could be great. I think it could also be a huge train wreck if people don't do it right. <laughs> but I love the idea. Have you have you tried to implement or create groups or do something that kind of puts us into practice? We have, yeah. Um, you know, we've done uh, our. When I got here, our church was almost one hundred percent in one direction, okay. and now we're probably sixty percent in that direction, and and mm -hmm. and forty percent uh, in the other direction. And I started, you know, I started preaching this stuff pretty early on. It, it drove away a lot of people and it, it drew some others and, and others stayed. Um, uh, but, you know, the, the community that we settled into sort of after the transition uh, landed at about a 60-40 ratio. But, but along the way, and part of why it became that way was, it, was I had people, th these are the more tenderhearted people who are always in a posture of learning, right? Is, the, is I had people coming and saying, look, I, I'm a Republican and I don't know any Democrats. Can you find some for me and maybe get me in a small group with them? Mm -hmm. And I had people, you know, from, from, you know, I'm a Democrat. You know, I don't know any Republicans. Can you help me? Uh, and, and, you know, people just became more and more open. Um, and the other thing that we've done is uh, we've had public conversations, you know, in 2016, for instance, uh, Tennessee Governor Bill Haslam is a Republican, uh, was part of our church and part of our community. He's, he's no longer uh, governor, and so he's moved back to Knoxville. But, but um, and, and, and I've got a really good friend named Michael Weir, who mm -hmm. maybe you've also had on your show. Sadly, uh, I, you know, Andy Downs and others. I haven't had him on. I know who he is, but... Uh, oh, he's great. Need, he's amazing. Yeah. So, yeah, he works with the Ann Campaign. He's, he's doing some great stuff. Um, he's really young, which is... which is He worked with Obama, incredible. didn't he? Uh, he did. Yeah. He's, a, he's actually the youngest White House aide, uh, I, I think, possibly in American history. 
Um, <laughs> that may be slightly exaggerated, but, but I think he was like 19 when, when he came on as the liaison for, for Barack Obama <laughs> to religious community. Yeah. And he's still like a college student. Um, now get him on to, to correct the record on that. Cause okay. I probably okay. butchered his story there, but but we, we, we had Michael and uh, Michael Weir and, and Bill Haslam on stage together. And, and you know, it was basically a, 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 a moderated conversation where uh, they were interviewed, um, asked about their views and how their faith in Christ intersects with, you know, their, their political lives. And, you know, both of them, uh, you know, Haslam was saying, okay, as a Republican, I've got a lot of people in my party who are frustrated with me because of my advocacy for uh, access to health care for, for all citizens in my state. And I've got people in my own party who may get frustrated with the fact that I, I was on the board for World Vision, uh, which is, you know, all about, you know, global advocacy for immigrants and refugees and the poor and so on. And then Michael Ware, you know, somebody or the moderator asked Michael the question, why don't you run for president? I mean, you're, you're, you know, first of all, he's not old enough yet. I think you have to be 35. He just turned 30. It's crazy. Um, He's so young. But, 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 but he said, he said, I I would never get nominated because I'm pro-life. And, 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 and so you've got two guys who, you know, for, for, for their own, for their own, out of their own Christian conviction, uh, one of them landed in you know the Republican Party. The other landed in the Democratic Party, not in spite of their Christian beliefs, but because of them. Yeah. Uh, and by the end of the conversation, we realized these guys. Is there anything these guys don't agree on? <laughs> um, you know, I, I think the only disagreements they had were nuance. Uh, they they weren't issue disagreements as as much as they were nuance agreements mm. because they were submitting their beliefs on the issues to the Lord and. And it, it was really more about, you know, the process of, of getting to, you know, biblical ideals, you know, yeah. philosophical, in other words. And so I think that's that that really kind of set a tone for our whole community. I mean, it was a, you could imagine the turnout was was pretty significant for yeah. that because it was the Sunday right before the election and it was mm. just crazy heated time. Yeah. And it was just a beautiful moment. And, and I think it, it created a lot of softening. Uh, for, for, for people. And, and, you know, we've kind of been uh, a, a, not a bipartisan yeah. church uh, politically ever, uh, ever since. And, and these aren't issues that our, our people bicker about. Oh, that's great. Pretty cool. That's a really great example. Yeah. I love that. One of the things that Michael Weir said that uh, has stuck with me, he said, if, if you don't understand, and he's talking to mostly Democrats, why someone voted for Donald Trump, that's not a them issue, that's a you issue. Because you haven't done the work to understand why someone would do what they do. And that's you not listening to other people. And I found that to be very revelatory. And I think the example that you guys did where people were going to listen and to understand the other side and to understand what what uh, leads them to, to act the way they do, I think that's the kind of witness that Christianity needs to be in this, uh, this time and this age. So anyway, the book is A Gentle Answer. It is something that uh, we could all use right now. So um, thanks for the time. Thanks for coming back on the podcast. Thanks, Luke. It's been great being with you. Thanks for checking out Newsworthy with Norsworthy. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. You are now adjourned.